The world needs leaders, especially during times of uncertainty, but not just any leaders. It needs you. Good morning. I'm glad to see you all here today, and I'm glad to welcome those who worship with us online every week. We're glad to have you as well. Now, when you were growing up, did you ever play follow the leader? Anybody ever do that? Is there anyone in here today? How many of you are awake at this point? Are these questions too difficult? Do you need to talk about it with your neighbor and find out if you ever played follow the leader? Just want to know my audience, okay? Well, anyway, when you played follow the leader, if you had a good leader, everything went well, didn't it? But if you had a sorry leader, you got in trouble, didn't you? And so today I want to talk about being a leader. Now, I want you to look at the person next to you, and I want you to say, you are a leader. Go ahead and tell them that right now. <clears throat> now, I wonder how many of you said, no, I'm not, when they said that to you. Really, because here's what happens. People think, you know, I'm not a leader. There, there are leaders, but I'm not a leader. Well, that's really not true. Because every person in, in here influences other people. Other people watch you. Other people pay attention to you. Other people listen to you. You have an influence over them, whether you realize it or not. And so the most important thing we can do is influence them for God, right? I mean, we, what we want to do is be obedient to God and we want to help other people as well. Now this month, I'm going to be preaching a series on Old Testament characters. You all know the Old Testament and the Bible. You know, when I was in seminary, I had studied the New Testament a lot. When I got to seminary, I had an Old Testament professor. And he really made the Old Testament come alive for me. And really, the New Testament is a fulfillment of the Old Testament. So when you read what's going to happen in the Old Testament, you read what did happen in the New Testament. It's so beneficial. It really all ties together. So I hope that you don't ever look at it and say, well, I'm just going to read the New Testament. You're missing out on a lot if you do that because you can see God's hand in all of it, all right? So here's what I want to challenge us to do, and I'm not going to tell you who the character is next week. you just have to come back to find out. But today it is... Daniel, okay? And we're going to learn about Daniel, and it's powerful. Now listen, there's going to be a lot of scripture in here. I'm going to be looking at it. It's going to be up on the screen for you. You can follow along with me. It's, it's a lot of what we would call discourse. It's a lot of information from the Bible. There's not a lot of fluff in here, okay? As opposed to most of my sermons that have a lot of fluff, right? So if you'll listen to it, it's a little bit longer, but if you listen to it, you'll learn something. And what you listen and learn about, you can apply to your own life. Just because it's from the Old Testament doesn't mean it's not there for you. Now, if you're a leader today, then people are looking to you because after what we've been through this last year, you know, we're looking to somebody for help, aren't we? And you can be an inspiration or a hope because you are a leader. So in this, we're going to talk about three essentials for leading people in times of uncertainty. The first one is our leadership is stewardship. Our leadership is stewardship. Now, we don't use that term stewardship as much anymore as we used to, but in ancient times, a steward was somebody appointed by the king 
to represent the king. You and I are stewards of everything that God gives us, and we represent him. He's the king of kings. So all leadership is stewardship. You got the first one? I'm so glad that both of you got it. <clears throat> I can't even tell if there's anybody in here or not because y'all are just so quiet. Do you sleep? Is that what is it? Are you quiet when you sleep? Is that it? Second, our leadership is temporary, okay? Eventually, your authority and your influence will fade. You might be in a position to have influence, but sometime that job's going to go away. You might be in a season of influence, but later on things are going to change, and you're not going to be in that position anymore. So you need to lead with the end in mind. In other words, while I'm here, I want to do everything I can to be an influence for God and for other people. And then third, we are accountable to others, but ultimately we're accountable to God, okay? So all of us, and we may have a board or a boss or a constituency or a base, but really <clears throat> God is in charge and we're accountable to him. And ultimately he will lead us to be people that lead and leverage and influence for him. Now, today's story is from the book of Daniel, and it takes place in 580 B.C. B.C. does not stand for before COVID. I just wanted to mention that. It's a little bit earlier on, the way it started. It goes back a ways, okay? And, and the main character in here is a military and political leader, but he confused progress with greatness, which is easy to do. His name was Nebuchadnezzar. Everybody say Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah, that's right. Nebuchadnezzar, he was the king of Babylon. Babylon is modern-day Iraq. Babylon is modern-day Iraq. And 20 years before this story, Nebuchadnezzar invaded Judah and Jerusalem, but it was actually spared at that time. While he was there, Nebuchadnezzar rounded up the nation's elite. He got the best and the brightest, and he put them to work. He took them back and held them hostage in Babylon. He looted the temple there in Jerusalem. He destroyed the temple, and then he took all the contents from the Jewish temple back with him to Babylon, and he put them in the palace vault. Now, hang on to that information because it's going to come in handy later on because I'm going to come back around to it. We're going to talk about it. Nebuchadnezzar saw his god, Marduk, was clearly more powerful than the Jewish god since he conquered them, right? Yahweh. And so he said, well, Israel's god lost, and that was the end of the story, right? But as it turns out, that wasn't the end of the story at all. In fact, it's actually how we got the story. Daniel documents these unusual events in the Old Testament book of Daniel. Now, he's been in Babylon for about 20 years at this time, and he's a trusted advisor to King Nebuchadnezzar. Here's what Daniel writes in Daniel 4. Okay, follow along with me. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous, and I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was laying in bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. These are the visions I saw while lying in bed. I looked, and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land, and its height was enormous. 
The tree grew large and strong, and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruits abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it, the wild animals found shelter, and the birds lived in its branches from every creature it was fed. Or it was fed. In the visions I saw, while lying in bed, I looked, and there before me was a holy one, a messenger coming down out of heaven. He called in a loud voice, cut down the tree and trim the branches. Strip off the leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But let the stump <coughs> and its roots bound with iron and bronze remain in the ground in the grass of the field. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times passed by him. The decision is announced by the messenger. The holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know that the most high is sovereign over the kingdoms on earth and give them to anyone who wishes and sets over them the lowliest people. Now, that phrase right there, that last part of scripture, is the bottom line for Nebuchadnezzar. Because what it's saying is, hey, everybody's going to know that God is the real God, that he's in charge, that he's sovereign, and he puts people in leadership he wants in leadership, and he takes them out of leadership, and he puts somebody else in leadership, and then he takes them out. It's up to God what position you get, how you get it, how long you get to stay there, because he is God. He's in charge. So when Nebuchadnezzar wakes up from his dream, he's terrified, but he knows it has something to do with him. So he calls the usual suspects together to interpret the dream, and they either can't or they won't, and eventually they bring in Daniel. And when Daniel hears Nebuchadnezzar's dream, He's also insecure about it, too. And here's what he says. My Lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. In other words, Daniel knows what it means, but he's saying, I hate to be the one to bring you bad news. I wish this applied to somebody else, but it really applies to you. And he says, King Nebuchadnezzar, here is what the dream means. The Most High God has decreed that you will be driven away from humanity, that you are about to become like a wild animal, that you are going to humiliate yourself publicly, and that you will go on until you finally acknowledge the Most High God. And not you and not Marduk is sovereign over the kingdoms of men. It goes on and it says, your kingdom will be restored to you. He gives him a little good news here at the end. Your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. In other words, when you acknowledge the Most High God, when you say, hey, I'm not really in charge. I'm not really as great as I think I am. God's in charge, and I'm going to acknowledge him. Daniel continues, therefore, your majesty, he says, be pleased to accept my advice Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. 
it may be that then your prosperity will continue. Now he's telling him what to do right there. You see it in the scripture. He's saying if you'll do this, maybe you can avoid what this scripture has just told you is going to happen to you. But nothing happens. Then this in scripture. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof, of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, now get his attitude here. Hear what he's saying about himself. Is not this the great Babylon that I have built as a royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? What does it sound like? He's bragging, isn't he? He's telling about how great he is. I am some smoke. Just look at me. I am somebody. Woo. You want to touch me? I'm amazing. And he just goes on and on and on about that. But it says this. And it's you know, if this were a movie, when he says this line, the music would all change right there, wouldn't it? Dun, 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 dun. Right? Because you can just tell, oh, he shouldn't have said that. He's going to get in trouble. Now, here it says this in Scripture. Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven this is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You see, God gives and God takes away. And God is taking this away from you. Immediately, it says, <clears throat> what, he had been, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and he ate grass like an ox. Hello, are you listening to this? His body was drenched in with the dew, and this wasn't mountain dew, okay? The dew of heaven until his hair grew like feathers of an eagle and his nails like claws of a bird. This is the fulfillment of what God said was going to happen. Are you catching this? You don't see this every day. Do you know what that's called? Boanthropy. Say that to the person next to you. Boanthropy. That's a real, it's a real psychological disorder where the sufferer believes that he or she is an ox or a cow. Now I'm not talking about weight here, okay? I'm talking about a real ox or a cow, okay? And then eventually he comes back to his senses and he's humiliated by what happens and he remembers the dream and Daniel's interpretation of it. And here's what Nebuchadnezzar says now. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? So what do you hear there? Well, what you hear there is he's singing a new song. Now he's not saying, I am somebody. He's saying, I am nobody. God is in charge. Listen. If God turns you into your thinking where you were an ox or a cow and you spent all that time out in the field eating the grass, 
totally out of your mind, and then he restored your sanity to you, wouldn't he get your attention too? You know, and even when God does something like that, it's for Nebuchadnezzar's best interest. He's really trying to help him. And so there's a lesson there for Nebuchadnezzar and a lesson for you and me, and here it is. Leadership is stewardship. God put us in a position of leadership, so we're stewards of that position for as long as he allows us to be. It's a temporary thing. It's not going to last forever, so we need to take advantage of it. And the third thing is that we are all accountable to God, right? Now, we can, we can catch that. Those three points make sense to us. We dare not leverage our power and influence to oppress other people, but we're trying to help other people. Now, here's what happened. Forty years go by. Nebuchadnezzar, the new king, now he dies. The new king of Babylon is a guy by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. This is the son of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar. Let's try to say that one. Nebuchadnezzar. That's right. This sounds like Bersadus, doesn't it? Nebuchadnezzar, okay? And so as the glory of Babylon begins to fade, the Persians in the east, their leadership under Cyrus the Great, they begin to flex their military and economic power. And Silas the Great, Cyrus the Great, he begins to look at Babylon. He said, I'm going to take Babylon because they got all kinds of wealth and, and there's all kinds of riches there. He launches a campaign of destruction upon them and with the city of Babylon in mind. So King Nebuchadnezzar is a co-regent. Now listen, <clears throat> I'm going to try to explain this. It's difficult to catch. Nebuchadnezzar is a king, but he says, I'm going to have a co-king. I'm going to have a co-regent, and his name is Belshazzar. Let's try that one. Belshazzar. Not Belshazzar, but Belshazzar, okay? Because that's kind of what it sounds like to me, okay? All right. Now listen. King Nebuchadnezzar named Daniel Belshazzar. That's a name he gave him when he came there. It's not the same. The Belshazzar is a co-regent. Daniel is called Belshazzar. Okay, you got that? All right, so here we go. Then he and the Babylonian army go out to confront Cyrus, who's making war on Babylon. With the Persians under Cyrus the Great, the Babylonian army goes out, and they are decimated. The capture, they capture Nebuchadnezzar, and they march toward the city. Now, you remember Cyrus the Great is going toward Babylon, but, but he knows that the, the defenses there are unbelievable, and there's not much way that he can break through, <clears throat> but he's going to march on the city anyway. Meanwhile, in the city of Babylon, the co-regent, Belshazzar, he's still kind of set up as the king inside the city. He considers himself king, so he begins to, pr to prepare for a protracted siege. In other words, Cyrus the Great and the Persians are going to be outside the city, He's going to be inside the city, and they're just going to kind of wait each other out. It's a chess game. He reinforces the gate. As the Persian army surrounds the city, he is confident they won't be able to breach the walls. From his perspective, Belshazzar is thinking, either the Persian army is going to starve to death out there. If they wait too late, they're going to freeze to death because the weather is going to change, and it's going to get cold. But there's no way they can take the city of Babylon. We are safe. The defenses are set. So what does he do? He decides to throw a party. Let's have a big party. It's kind of like the hurricane's coming. Let's just have a hurricane party, right? So here's what happens. More scripture. You ready? 
You won't breathe, Randy? Are you okay? All right, you with me? All right, here we go. So King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for thousands of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. Remember I said he looted the temple. He brought those supplies back. He put them in the safe there at home. He, they were in the palace. And so now he's going to go get them so that the king and his nobles and his wives and his concubine might drink from them. Now he's essentially making a mockery of all the holy things, the things that are sacred, that have been taken out of the temple in Jerusalem. But it gets worse. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver and bronze and iron and wood and stone. Do you see how dumb this guy is? You talk about dumb as a bag of rocks or hammers. And, and I love this next part here because that's what they did. Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand of the royal palace, and the king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale, and he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. That's right, because he's scared to death now what he sees. That's where we get the phrase, the handwriting on the wall. That's where it came from. Did you know that? Well, I want to just celebrate that one of you learned something today. The king summoned his enchanters, astrologers, and diviners, and then he said to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have gold chain placed around his neck, and he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. And nobody could tell, so the queen intervenes. She speaks up, and the queen, hearing the voices of the king and his nobles, came to the banquet hall and said, May the king live forever. Don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. There is a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. Your father, King Nebuchadnezzar, appointed him chief of the magicians, and enchanters, and astrologers, and diviners. He did this because Daniel, whom the king called Belshazzar, see there it is, was found to have a keen mind and knowledge and understanding and also the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel, and he will tell you what the writing means. Now, by this time, Daniel is probably in his 70s, and he apparently has been forgotten by everybody but the queen, so they usher him in. Belshazzar promises wealth and glory and power, Daniel shakes his head. He looks at the writing on the wall and he says, you may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to somebody else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing and the king for the king and tell him what it means. Your majesty, the most high God, gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. Because of the high position he gave him, all the nations and all the peoples of every language dreaded and feared him. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory until 
He acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and set them over anyone, and he set them over anyone he wishes. And then he goes on. But you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself, although you knew all this. In other words, you knew the story. You knew what happened to your father. You were warned. You, you could have realized it and taken advantage of it. But instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. And with this, he shakes a finger in the king's face and says, You had the goblets from his temple brought to you. You and your nobles and wives and concubines drank wine from them. Now listen to this next part. You praise the gods of silver and gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see, hear, or understand. It's like, I'm going to praise this wicker basket right here, okay? It's an inanimate object. It can't think. It can't see. It can't hear. It can't understand. I'm going to put that above God. That's what he's telling him he's doing. And he's just really dumb, okay, for real for doing that, right? So what does he say? But, he says, you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Therefore, he sent his hand and wrote that inscription. And here's what the words mean. Are you ready? Dun, 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 dun. The music changes again, all right? He says, Meany, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tico, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Now, with all that going on, there's something else happening, okay? That's inside the palace. Here's what's going on outside. The Persian engineers are actually out there working, and they're diverting the Euphrates River into a swamp outside of the city. By diverting the water supply, the Persian engineers have caused the Euphrates River level to decrease. It drops. When it's low enough, the Persian SEAL team swims under the water, <laughs> kills the Babylonian guards guarding the gates. He drags these enormous steel gates and doors open, and the Persians go in and take this city that he said nobody could take. In fact, Daniel tells us that very night, Belshazzar, the king of the Babylonians, was slain. And the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms of the earth, and he gives to whom he wishes. In other words, Belshazzar, who was too big for his britches, is dead, and God is still sovereign. And he says, I'm still in charge. I still put people in power, and I still take them out. So there, right? Your talent, education, family connections, hard work, and discipline may put you in a place of influence, but what you do with that influence will determine whether or not you are a leader worth following. When we view our influence as temporary, then we're being held accountable, then we're far less likely to focus on the benefits for us. In other words, when we realize God provided, God gives, and God takes away. I'm not in charge. God is. So I'm not going to just focus on what's best for me. I'm going to focus on what God's called me to do. I'm going to focus on what's best for the people who follow me. And I'll be far more inclined to leverage my leadership and influence 
for the people that I lead. When we embrace with integrity this definition of leadership and stewardship, we realize that people are more important than things. That people really and their ways are always best because people matter to God. And every level of leadership is about stewardship, it's about being temporary, and it's about accountability. And here's why. Because the Most High God is sovereign over the kingdoms of the earth, and he gives to those temporarily that he wishes to, to be in charge. Before we go, I have three questions for you, okay? If you got something to jot these down with, I wish you'd just write down, you can just write down a part of them, because this is your homework for next week, and it goes on your permanent record. And when I say permanent, I mean permanent, okay? All right. So when it comes to leveraging your influence and authority in terms of experience, who have you seen get it right and who have you seen get it wrong? When you look at leaders, people that you admire or people that you don't admire, when you look up to people, who are some examples of people that have gotten it right? Who are some examples of people who have gotten it wrong? And how you want to follow the ones who do it right. You don't want to follow the ones who do it wrong. Second, as you consider your personal sphere of influence, which of these three descriptors do you find most challenging? In other words, out of the three things we talked about about leadership, is stewardship the most difficult? Or the fact that your leadership is temporary? Or is it that you're held accountable for what you do? And then third, what are the qualifications for anyone in Jesus' words about anybody who wants to become great? And I want you to write down this scripture, Mark 10, verses 42 through 45. Go home and read that for yourselves this afternoon. Answer that question. This week, I want to challenge all of us to look at an opportunity to live with integrity and to leverage our influence for the benefit of someone else because that's why God gave it to us in the first place. Amen?